Welcome to Paradigm Shift, the podcast about the intersection of business and law. By changing yourself, you can change your business. Now, here's your host, Christina Martini. Welcome to Paradigm Shift. My name is Christina Martini, and I am your host as we explore the intersection of business and law. Today, we are going to be talking with a technology CMO about our working environments due to COVID-19 and whether the remote working boom we have been experiencing the past few months is going to change the way we work forever. It is my privilege to be welcoming Simon Townsend to the show. As IGEL Technologies Chief Marketing Officer, Simon owns field, digital, and product marketing functions at the company. With 20 years of experience in the end-user computing market, Simon has helped manage marketing, product marketing, product management, and global systems engineering for several enterprise software companies. Townsend joined IGEL Technology from Avanti, where he was chief technologist and a member of the office of the CTO. A frequent industry speaker, author, and visionary on industry topics related to endpoint security, VDI, Citrix, Windows, and DAS, Simon's roles include defining and delivering corporate, field, and product marketing strategies. At AppSense for over 11 years, Simon also served as the company's vice president, product management. He holds a bachelor's degree in IT and business from Bournemouth University. It's my pleasure to welcome Simon to the show. Hey, thanks very much for having me. Great to be here. So I'm just so excited about our conversation today, and I'd love to kick things off by hearing a little bit more about your background and what made you decide to go into the marketing industry. Okay. Yes, Simon Townsend. I'm currently the um, CMO for IGEL at the moment. It may seem strange, but I think what I would do is I'd, I'd go all the way back to when I was taking my degree. And, you know, when I was at school, I was really interested in, in two things. And uh, one of those was acting and one of those was uh, computers and IT. And um, <laughs> Those are pretty uh, d- disparate things. <laughs> well, I think as you, as, as you start to get to know me, you'll start to realize that these things start to sort of come back together again, right? When it comes to marketing and it comes to technology, a lot of what you have to do is, you know, you have to obviously present technologies and solutions quite a lot and you in many many occasions depending on who you're talking to you sort of have to change your story right so it's more suitable to your listeners and so I always think there's a little bit of a little bit of acting that goes on in my job role anyway (laughs) but that probably um that's probably not the right thing to say but uh, anyway (laughs) um how did I get into all of this I went to a university in the UK. I was born and bred in the UK and I went to university on the south coast of the UK and I finished there with a degree in business and information technology. Great degree, met lots of great people. It was actually a four-year degree. The reason why it's four years long is that that third year, you actually go out and you do a form of, you know, you go and get a proper job and you go and get employed and you get paid and you do something that's in line with the degree. And at the time I went and got a job for an organization, a scientific one, who was making MRI scanners at the time. And um, this was back in the day when IT was 
I would suggest really just supporting the business, right? It wasn't, um, it wasn't the business, it was just supporting it. So I went and spent a year supporting the business. I learned a lot about networks. I learned a lot around end user computing and about how we deploy PCs out to our users and updates and all the things about Novell and Windows and all of those sorts of things. So it was, it was a great, great learning experience. But I see, it suddenly dawned on me at the time, I'm like, is, is this it? Is this what IT is going to be like? It's just sort of, you know, I'm just going to be this one of two people that's, you know, stored in the basement of the office. You know, IT always <laughs> got the room that was in the corner, right? We didn't have any money and, you know, the amount of budget that was allocated to us was great. And we just got called upon when something went wrong. But fortunately, what happened is when I went back to university to actually complete my degree, I then got a job in telemarketing selling a technology called Citrix. So when I wasn't studying at university, I used to go down to this uh, small office. I used to pick up a headset and I used to start putting calls into some quite large organizations. And I started doing telemarketing or telesales for this IT technology, this solution called Citrix. And it was quite a new way of deploying windows and applications to users. And Funny enough, I started to realize at that moment in time that there was way more to the IT industry than what I'd, I'd historically thought. Um, it wasn't all just about sitting in a dark room somewhere fixing PCs and that there was this ability that there was these really neat solutions out there that needed selling and then they, once they'd been sold, they needed to be implemented and there was this whole distribution channel that was out there in the IT world, right? And there were these things called vendors and distributors and value-added resellers. And then there was the end users that needed IT. And there was this whole ecosystem that I was suddenly opened up to. And so um, that's where sort of like things really started for me. I um, very quickly met a lot of people and got introduced to a lot of people while I was doing this part-time telemarketing job. And from that moment on, I suddenly became what the industry would deem as a, as a technical salesperson. Typically, organizations refer to them as systems engineers or pre-sales consultants, but they're, they're ultimately technically-minded individuals who can go and you know, tap the keyboard, move the mouse, and set things up, but you know, they, they, they tend to be selling technology. And so from there, I, I, um, I completed my degree. I went to a distributor. I worked for a reseller. And then I went and worked for a number of software vendors after that. And throughout my whole career, I mean, I'm still really doing a very similar thing to what I was doing all the way back then. I mean, I'm not picking the telephone up and doing telesales anymore. But, you know, as, as, as a CMO, my job is to try and go out there and sell the brand, sell the technology, sell the solution and trying to help organizations improve the way that they deliver IT into their into their organizations and you know coming back around to where I started the really nice thing now is is that in many organizations IT is now at the forefront of the business not just a supporting function and in many cases IT is driving the business right it's, it's helping drive top level growth if you think about things like digital transformation and innovation mm -hmm. that's going on in organizations at the moment it's IT that's driving that. So, um, yeah, I've always been technically minded. I've always enjoyed tinkering around with IT and I've always had sort of like a, a sales hat on. And over the years, I've 
helped software organizations from a product management point of view, from a product marketing point of view. And then most recently, I've spent a lot of time trying to help the larger IGEL marketing organization make sure that you know, what we're putting out there in terms of messaging is resonating and that there's a good balance between business benefit and technical detail. So that's a great summary. I mean, there's one thing I wanted to just mention to you. I don't know. I'm, I know you and I have had a chance to chat a bit before our time together. And I'm actually um, an industrial engineer by training too. So a lot of what you said really resonates because I did a lot of operations and systems engineering back in, in my in my former life before I came a lawyer. So there's a lot of flexibility and a lot of really cool things that you can do with a, a degree like that. So super cool stuff. So let's fast forward now. So you're at IGEL. Let's talk a little bit about how you ended up there and how it's different and how this experience that you're currently living and breathing and you're out there in the market and you're the CMO for this company Tell us about why iGel is different than maybe some other similarly situated technology companies. Yeah. So I joined iGel about 18 months ago. And it's really interesting because iGel has actually been around for 19, 20 years. They're a German-based organization. And in many cases, it's a bit like working for a 20-year-old startup. Because what's happened over the last couple of years is that they have changed their focus and they've also started seeing uh, significant growth because of how the market uh, has been uh, evolving and, and how the market's changed, but also because of a shift that we made as an organization just before I arrived from being a traditional German-based hardware organization to an American-first software-led uh, organization. And it's been really interesting looking at the the cultural change within the business as that's happened um, over the years as well. But I can, I can sort of come back to that in a second. But yeah, so I got a call from Jed Ayres, who is now the, uh, the CEO of the organization about two years ago. And he said, look, Simon, you know, we're trying to change the way that we go to market. We're trying to disrupt almost ourselves and disrupt how we sell to the market and do things slightly differently. And we'd, we'd, we'd love to have you on board. And so I've sort of come on board. And you know, for a lot of what we do, we are really trying to, really trying to question the normal, actually. We use this word disrupt quite a lot internally and externally as we talk. And I'm sure a lot of organizations talk about being disruptive. But the truth is, 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 is what we are offering to the world at the moment is something that is very different compared to how the world has been deploying IT for the last 15, 15, 20 years. Most organizations, as an example, that are out there, they deploy PCs and laptops and they put windows on them. And that's just how it's been done ever since, you know, 1994, 1995. And what we're actually trying to do at the moment is we're trying to change that. We're trying to uh, educate all people and that there is a, a different way of working today that is more secure, is easier to manage, is more performant for the user and, and allows people to um, do things perhaps in a slightly different way that, that they have done before. And a lot of that, as I'm sure we'll come on to, plays 
a massive part when you need to enable remote working and, and, and working from home. Yes, absolutely. And that's a really great segue into what was going to be my next question. And to just set the context for our conversation today, for those listeners who may not hear this episode for a bit of time, we're now, you know, four five plus months into the onset of COVID-19, which happened earlier this year. Clearly, it's totally shifted how we live our lives and how we work. The vast majority of us have been working live from our home fronts now for nearly half a year, and it's caused massive panic among IT departments as well as CEOs and founders who I think at this stage of the game Things have equalized a a bit more, but you still hear some issues that are being had on an IT and technological perspective. Um, You hear things about people having problems with productivity and whatnot, even still, although we are many, many weeks into working remotely. You know, would love to hear based on, you know, the evolution of your company and where it fits within the technological landscape. What has COVID done for your company? And from where you and your company sit, how do you think home working in the current environment has been going from, from, your, from your frame of reference? How's it been going for your customers and for the world at large? Yeah, I think this is somebody else's quote I'm going to steal, actually, because I heard it last week. But when COVID came along and we had to enforce shelter in place and work from home, there was really two types of organization. One type was the organization who had already enabled remote working and had a huge number of employees that weren't necessarily working from home 100% of the time, but they'd already enabled their employees to do one or two days from home a week, or they had people that were visiting multiple offices, jumping on planes, traveling around. You know, So mobile working for them um, wasn't wasn't too difficult, and then there was the other type, which was you know the traditional organization who you know expected their employees to come in every single day at nine o'clock. They would check in, they would log onto their PC, uh, they would do their work, and then they would go home again at five o'clock. And I think there was a real difference between those types of two organizations that we saw, and it was the difference between an organization that simply on the day that it happened, had to just say, right, we now need to extend and expand this mobile working that we've got from 1,000 people up to 3,000 people versus the panic uh, that some organizations went through when they said, well, hang on a second, Um, we don't allow our employees to work from home. We've never enabled our employees to work from home. And it was really interesting to see, to be honest with you, different parts of the world and different organizations and 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 how they had to cope with that you know if you look at some of the statistics that are out there you know particularly in the UK and in America there was a, lot, a significantly larger proportion of the working population had worked from home before whereas if you go across to somewhere like Germany those numbers are very very low you know that's really interesting it's not just because of technology, it's because of cultural change mm-hmm. as well. You know, I mean, you've only got a Google work from home or WFH in, in Google now, and you'll get a load of information about technology and about 
how technology can help us work from home and what life would have been like over the last hundred days if we didn't have things like Zoom and Teams to collaborate on. But there's a lot of talk at the moment around, you know, are our employees being more productive? How can employees measure that productivity? Are there benefits from a work-life balance point of view? And I think it's it's the German government uh, themselves have had to make some changes and, and help organizations realize that it is actually okay to send some of your employees home and have employees work from home and put flexible working hours in. You know, from our point of view, we've obviously got a number of developers. Uh, so I think we have somewhere in the region of 150 developers that work for us out of Germany. And the norm for them was to come into the office every day and you went to work to work. Um, mm-hmm. Whereas, you know, for some of us, and I probably put myself in, and, and you in the same category, work is something that we do, not necessarily somewhere that we go. And whilst we might go into the office every now and again, you know, we can ultimately work from, from anywhere. And so in, in, in Germany with those developers, as a great example, you know, it's been, a, it's been a really big change for them, you know, to wake up every morning and to work from home and to do the job uh, from home and for us to allow them to, you know, get up at 6 a.m. in the morning if they want and do three hours work before they then take a couple of hours off to take their children to school or to home educate their children and then perhaps come on later in the day and, 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 and have more flexible hours. So, you know, two, two real different types of organization, I think, that, that, that we saw. And I think that's, um, that's been seen across the globe, right? Some organizations have, have made that transition incredibly easy because they already had some of the technology and the right culture in place. And it was just a case of taking it from a, a smaller number of users to all of their employees. Right. Um, obviously, there's some costs associated with that. And then there was the, the other type, which was, okay, well, how do we get all of these people that have never worked from home suddenly working from home? And that's where I've been using these two different phrases. And I don't want to confuse anybody, but where an organization went through this initial panic of getting people to work at home are I refer that to work at home. We enabled as many users as we could to work at home for um, a short period of time. And it was almost like, look, it doesn't matter what it costs. It doesn't matter what happens from a security point of view. We're going into lockdown. We've got to do shelter in place. Let's just try and get as many people at home with a machine so they can at least work at home for a couple of weeks. That's fine. But what we've seen is that the couple of weeks turned into 100 days, which is now turning into potentially, you know, the future of work. And so people are now starting to say, actually, I don't just need to enable my employees to work at home off a sofa on a laptop in on their kitchen table. I'm going to need to rethink perhaps what my strategy is moving forward and, and, and actually put something a little bit more a little bit more robust, a little bit more performant, a little bit more secure in place moving forward. And so I've seen lots of organizations, they went through the panic and the work at home phase. Then they, now they're coming back around saying, right, how do we enable more long-term work from home? And in fact, what does the strategy look like when it comes to just work, right? How do we, how do we protect ourselves? Even if we all do go back to work, how do we protect ourselves in the future if this was to happen, happen again? 
So yeah, lots and lots of cultural changes, lots of technology changes as well. Well, and we're going to peel the onion, so to speak, on a number of these things as we continue our conversation. You know, just speaking from experience from my organization, we were uh, ahead of the curve and I feel very fortunate to be part of an organization where working remotely is something because of the nature of what we do. We've got a bunch of lawyers. We're 1,200 lawyers worldwide. A lot of us travel a lot of us just need to work remotely. And so we were well situated to be able to do that. Um, and a number of weeks before we were on lockdown, we were able to outfit our staff with laptops and mechanisms by which they could work remotely. So by the time we had to flip the proverbial switch, so to speak, we were in a position where our staff was able to work remotely. So I feel very fortunate. I have heard, though, that other firms here in Chicago, which is where I am, that other firms weren't as fortunate. And well into the lockdown, there was still some element of uncertainty and scrambling that needed to be done in order to be able to effectively work from home. And I would imagine you saw a ton of that, given the nature of your business. Yeah, 100%. It, um <laughs> I think some people are always, they're going to look back uh, in the future and they're going to ask that question, where were you on the day? And where was I on the day that lockdown came into place? I was uh, in my office in, in the UK, in the, in the IGL office. And I remember, you know, the decision was made, the office is going to be shut as of tomorrow, pack up your stuff and go. And, you know, I took my, I took my MacBook and put it in my bag and got in my car and went home. And as I was getting into the car park, there was an, another lady from another office block and another organization. She had this massive HP monitor um, and this massive <laughs> HP tower, sort of like PC, one under one under each arm. And she was sort of like lifting it towards the car. And I was like, hey, wait, what's going on? She said, well, we, we, we've got to go and work from home. And I'm like, what, what's this that you're just, you know, putting into your boot? And she's like, it's, it's my PC. That's my work PC. And IT have basically said, I need to take it home and I need to go home and set it up. And I don't have an office at home. And I'm like, well, where are you going to put this massive tower and this massive monitor that you've got under your arm? And she says, you know, it's going to have to go on my dining room table for the next couple of weeks. And, you know, I imagine that um, unless something has changed quite dramatically, that that lady is still sat at her dining room table a hundred days later, trying to work on her PC. And and that's the, you know, this this is the change that some people have got to go through. It's like if 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 you are somebody who is normally desk bound and is productive by using a piece of you know, a laptop or, or a PC, end user computer, you know, you've got a workspace that you need to use. It, it's that change that IT needs to go through. It's, you know, and, and mm -hmm. I sort of look at that and I'm like, why has that lady still got a big, you know, PC and a big monitor under her desk? Why has she not been enabled to work from home? I mean, I've been working from home for 15 years yet. <laughs> she, she she hasn't. And it's, it's typically because in some cases, IT's just been you know, so used to doing the same thing all of the time. It's like, oh, new version of Windows is coming out, right? We've got to upgrade everyone's version of Windows and we've got to go out and buy everyone new Dell or HP laptops. 
and then they'll be okay for three years and then they'll get slow and then they'll break and then we'll come back around again and Microsoft will bring out another version of Windows. It's now called Windows 10 and everyone goes out and spends a load of money on a whole set of new laptops and we do exactly the same thing all over again. And there are just other ways of deploying. There are technologies that are available now that that can change that and have changed that for a lot of organizations out there. But that that change hasn't necessarily it probably historically has only made up for about 15% of the whole market. So um, there's, there's some work to do to try and get people to change. So, I mean, that's a great segue in, into my next question and maybe we'll be able to touch on what some of that technology is and what IGEL provides, but clearly there are some, you know, technological benefits that working from home presents, but there are also challenges you had a poor, you know, now I wouldn't say your office mate, but a building mate who I, I'm worried like hurt herself trying to carry out yeah. all yeah. of her, her computer equipment. Um, what are some of the technology issues? I mean, obviously we've touched on the obvious ones, but what are some, some more of the nuanced benefits and challenges that the onset of COVID has presented to the workforce? Yeah. I mean, if we if we stay with our lady who had to move her PC into the boot of her car and and, and take that home, it, it really does, I think, sadly, sort of represent quite a large portion of the world, right? Because we have all been going into work to do work, and that's where our digital workspace exists. That's where our PC existed. One of the biggest challenges when when you move those when you move those devices out to the home is that all of a sudden you've got challenges when it comes to security and when it comes to management. And, you know, IT is meant to be there to ensure that, you know, organizations are compliant. It's meant to there to deal with risk and implement security measures so that we don't lose corporate data. And it's meant to manage that environment, right? In the same way that IT is meant to manage the data center and secure all the backend data, it's also there to help secure and manage the user. And when you move all of these PCs and make them all remote, you go from having one or two offices to now having thousands of offices. And these PCs that are at the end of internet connections, that it proves very, very difficult to secure them. And um, so from a security point of view and from a manageability point of view, that actually requires quite a lot of change. And I think that as I'm seeing at the moment and the organizations I'm speaking to, that's the point that they're trying to address right now. Not necessarily implementing it today, but looking at what their strategy needs to be moving forward. So, you know, as I said, we've enabled people to work at home and perhaps we've allowed the management or we've allowed the security that we'd normally have in place to flex a little bit to get those people home. And now they're coming back around saying, right, well, the methods that we've been using for the last 5, 10, 15 years are not going to work if the employee is going to remain at home or more importantly, and hopefully the employee does eventually come back to the office, but perhaps will never come back to the office a hundred percent of the time. It will be a more flexible way of working moving forward. And so they're the two challenges that I see most at the moment, security and manageability. It's like, how can, how can your organization or your IT organization make sure that the as you're sat at home and you're working, you're accessing corporate applications and corporate data, 
how can they make sure that you are just as secure, if not more secure than you were when you were sat in the office? And how do they manage your environment in case they need to roll out new applications, new data to you and, you know, provide you with updates and, and, and that type of thing? Well, and in our next segment, you know, those are great responses and they make a lot of sense. In our next segment, we're going to get into a little bit more detail about security and, you know, potential cyber events that spin off of the challenges that you just referenced. And our, our time together is is going really quickly. And there's one question I'd love to get in before we wind down our first segment, and that is the impact that home working presents with respect to the culture of an organization. You had mentioned this a, a little while earlier, that culture often dictated and may very well continue to dictate going forward decisions that are made by organizations with respect to the way their workforce works and interacts with each other. What have you seen in terms of impacts that home working has presented from a cultural perspective? What do you think we've gained through this experience and what do you think we've lost? Um, yeah, I think what we've what what we've gained is we've 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 gained an understanding that for some organizations and I think we do need to be we do need to be careful because there are a lot of organizations out there who can't enable work from home, right? Their business just doesn't allow it, right? They're in the services industry or whatever it might be. But for those organizations that had users you know, insurance companies, finance organizations, legal firms, IT firms, those organizations that had users that were coming into the office on a daily basis, spending two hours commuting to the office and two hours coming home again. There's obviously been some significant benefits that have been seen. You know, I speak to a lot of the 400 plus employees that we've got at iGel and some of those are based in San Francisco and most of them spent you know a good hour to two hours or an hour and a half on the BART transportation system every day coming into the office you know we've got people over here in the UK that would typically spend at least an hour training into London and training back out again and some of the benefits of obviously working from home are that hang on a second I can be just as productive i can be just as connected and yet i don't have to worry about you know a two-hour commute either side of my working day and where you've got families and children and you know outside of work activities that you might want to do that obviously gives you some significant benefits right i think i've probably i've probably been out on my bike more times uh, in lockdown than I have probably in the last two years, right? I've just wow. gone out and, and done cycling. It hasn't meant I've lost any weight, mind you, because <laughs> I've then come back from cycling and spent 12 hours eating in front yeah, of Yeah, I was like, just going to say the COVID-5, the COVID-10, right? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Um, so, um, but, you know, so there's, there are significant benefits. And, you know, we've got single parents that work for us. And we've seen that they've actually been able to balance their work-life balance significantly better. Um, the cost of travel, you know, in some cases, particularly in London, I think, you know, traveling into London would typically cost someone somewhere between three and four thousand dollars per year just just wow. to do that piece of travel. So, you know, there's there's a lot of benefits in that sense. but I am not 
one of these people that wants the new norm to stay like it is. Um, I think there's a lot of talk at the moment about what the new normal will be like and that this is going to change us forever. I hope that we learn a lot from the positives that have taken place, but I do hope that we can return to a level of normality like it was. What do we miss? We miss face-to-face interaction. And I'd, I'd hate to think what the world would be like without Zoom and, and Teams and these technologies that we've now got WebEx so we can do mm-hmm. video conferencing. But it's still not the same. It really isn't the same. I don't think you can be as creative as you can be if, you know, if, we, if, if myself and you were sat in a room and we wanted to come up with an idea, we wanted to talk about what you know, a new website would look like or uh, what a new piece of technology might do for someone or just you know, go back and forth on some ideas. Me and you sat in a room with a whiteboard and a couple of marker pens is going to be significantly more creative, in my opinion, mm-hmm. than us spending an hour on a Zoom call trying to be creative when we can't actually see each other and, and feel each other in the, same, in the same way. So I think we've lost that and I'd like to try and get that back. And the other thing is, you know, just the non-work stuff you know, the coffee morning chats, the chats over mm-hmm. the water cooler. You, know, you can't go on to every single Zoom call and spend 10 minutes asking everybody how they are, how's their weekend, yeah. and how their children are, because you just end up getting no work done. And as it is, you know, my life seems to jump from one Zoom call to another one and to another one. The biggest challenge for me personally, though, just to finish up on this, has, has been the need to wind down and switch off. And I've really, really struggled with that. Um, Mm -hmm. I am lucky that I've got an office, albeit not a big one. And when it took place, I made sure that I went out and I got some monitors at the right height and I invested in a new keyboard and a mouse and a a new piece of wood for the desk, et cetera. And it's very comfortable. But the problem is, is that it's two doors away from my kitchen and my Mm -hmm. kitchen's got my three children in it and my wife in it. And that journey from my office to the rest of my house is no more than five steps and five steps is not enough time for me to turn off from work and turn on to being you know dad and um i missed i missed the 20 30 minute journey that i had to and from work i i I missed that sort of like air gap as i would call it in between my work life and my home life and the ability that you can think about what's happened during the day think about what you might need to do tomorrow. And then when you put the key in the front door and open the front door, you think right now I can concentrate on, I can leave work behind and I can concentrate on being dad again. And I find that quite difficult. So, um, and, and, and people have different versions of that, right? Um, right different exactly. mental challenges and people are, will be able to deal with that very, very differently. Well, and you know, you've articulated it just so eloquently about the challenges that I think many of us have had, whether it's juggling the personal and the professional, being able to turn it off. I miss also, like you, having that commute to clear my head. I miss the water cooler chats, the, you know, let's go grab a quick lunch with my colleague down the hall to catch up. And, you know, not just the verbal, but the nonverbal communication that you get from sitting in a room with somebody, especially when you're trying to be creative. You obviously can catch some of that on a Zoom but there's a lot that you don't catch, especially if the call through Zoom or Teams ends up being one where people are only on audio. 
So um, I, I completely agree with you. And I think that everything that you just mentioned, that many of our listeners feel the same way. We are, believe it or not, at the end of our first segment. Do you have any final thoughts for our listeners and where can they find you? I'd, I'd, I'd say two things, actually, just before we go. So 100-ish uh, odd days in, I spent probably the first eight weeks doing nothing but Zoom calls and email. I used to come into my office at eight o'clock in the morning. I used to open up my emails. I used to speak to people, jump from one meeting to another, do various actions, etc. What I did about three or four weeks ago was I started using my mobile phone again. And my recommendation to anybody, and I'm sure some people think <laughs> simple, very obvious, but I, I, I simply, um, particularly on a Friday now, I try and spend as little time as I can in front of my computer in my home office. I schedule all of my one-to-ones with my staff on a Friday and I will take my mobile phone, I'll put my ear pods in and I will go out at eight o'clock in the morning and I'll go for a walk. And during that walk, I will talk to my staff and I'll have various meetings and people will say to me, Hey, what was that? You know, I can hear birds singing in the background. Are you not in your home <laughs> office? And I'm like, no, I'm not. I'm, I'm, I'm sat in a park. I'm sat in a park. And they're like, Oh, are you not meant to be working? And I'm like, well, I am working. And in fact, what I think is, is that I'm actually giving the person I'm talking to even more attention than what I would be than if I was sat in front of my sat in front of my desk on a Zoom call with them because all I've got to look at is the blue skies, their voice is coming through my ear, and I'm just talking to them in the same way that I would be. I'm, I'm extremely attentive, which is a downside better than you know me talking to them in my office and then watching my emails come in and you know sometimes you can hear that typing in the background when you're talking to someone can't you so that's my recommendation is 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 you know don't feel that because you are working from home that everything has to be done in front of a laptop or a pc and on a zoom call i mean there are still other ways in which we can communicate so if people want more from me um you can get hold of me on twitter i'm at simon underscore townsend i'm on linkedin and if you want more information about iGel and how we enable remote working along with things like desktop as a service, then you can go to iGel.com and you can find out more all about that. Simon, it's been so much fun chatting with you and I'm really looking forward to part two of our conversation. Thanks very much. Pleasure. Thank you for joining us for this episode of Paradigm Shift. We hope that you've enjoyed part one of our conversation with Simon Townsend. We hope that you will join us next week for the second part of our conversation. I'm your host, Christina Martini. Please look for our weekly episodes every Tuesday. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed the show, please rate and recommend us on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Please visit us at www.paradigmshiftshow.com. We would love to hear from you. Please look for new episodes of Paradigm Shift every Tuesday.